talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome once again to More Like the Worst Wing, the show where here in 2020 we take a look back at Aaron Sorkin's seminal television classic, The West Wing, from a bit more of a leftist, socialist perspective. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today's episode is entitled Swiss Diplomacy, ostensibly because um, at some point in the plot they use a, the Swiss ambassador to do some bullshit with some other shit, and it's just like, it's an appeal to being neutral, because, surprise, surprise, we can't have progress or regression in the west wing it's all just about staying the same yes uh uh, i think it's called that because the swiss guy is the one who brings the problem to the white house to begin with Um, so the problem we're referring to go ahead the problem we're referring to is kind of the first subplot of the episode and it works through the whole thing where apparently the iranian ayatollah who in this context, and we looked it up before we started the show, <laughs> in this context, we can presume to be a functional equivalent of the original Ayatollah Khomeini, mm-hmm. who held the title while also holding a governmental title as a supreme leader of the country. But the title Ayatollah is not exclusive. There are many Ayatollahs at any given time in Shia. Yeah, uh, it Muslim. appears to be the equivalent of like a cardinal in the, yeah, the Catholic yeah, yeah, yeah. Hierarchy, hierarchy sort of yeah. thing. Um, um, yeah. Go ahead. So his son, the conflict of this episode is yes. his son requires a weird operation of like a heart and lung transplant because of some genetic condition. As Eisen Helgen's syndrome, Hel- Helga Folza syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> um, is, it was it was a real thing. Chronically short I... of weekend feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually did look it up because I was curious if they had just like made up something on the spot. No, someone mm-hmm. had done some research and it was a real um, Eisen Eigel's syndrome. Yeah, something like that. I'm ga- I keep cool. getting it wrong. Who cares? It's a you know congenital heart defect, and he needs a both simultaneous lung and heart transplant. Uh, apparently there are only two countries in the world who have done this procedure, Japan and the U.S., and Japan has not been successful thus far in any of their attempts, whereas the U.S. has, so they, they want to bring him to the U.S. to have it done here, uh, which, of course, creates a big political football for the uh, president to deal with. Yeah, and it also, actually, it provides the show a nice um, kind of excuse to include Abby Bartlett, in the yes. show, who, as always, is the highlight of this otherwise very boring episode. Yes, very bad episode. Um, but yeah, Abby shows up to advise the president, basically, uh, on medical ethics. And because, so it turns out there are only three doctors in the country who can do it. One is in the middle of another procedure. One is uh, climbing K2. And therefore, uh, even <laughs> if they could, like, you know, hel- helicopter him off K2 to uh, to do the surgery would be, like, oxygen-deprived and therefore is, is not a good candidate. And then the third guy, uh, who's, who's, in theory, ready to go, uh-oh, turns out he fled Iran back in 1980 uh, because of the fundamentalists who, you know, the Ayatollah is trying to appease, basically. And the Ayatollah is a fundamentalist, and therefore he doesn't want to give material aid to the enemy, as he calls it. 
Yeah, and who I mean, apparently, like it's that they tortured his father to death. Yeah, when the when you the know. regime changed. Yeah, bad times. Um. Yeah, not good, <laughs> not great, folks. It's not good. We don't like it. Uh, so yeah, that's the. So Abby comes. He comes to Abby and he lays out the details of the situation. And you know, so this guy's got you know political reasons to not do the surgery. And Abby's like, no, no, no. You're a doctor. When you're a doctor and you've got uh, a dying patient in front of you, you have to do. You have to treat the patient in front of you. You know, there's no. It doesn't matter who. And she brings up the the good example of the doctor who set John Wilkes Booth leg uh, mm-hmm. after he shot Lincoln. Uh, who then later got charged for treason. Uh, and, and Abby's like, yeah, well, that's later used problem to figure out. But in the moment, you set the leg. So very cool bit of trivia about Dr. Samuel Mudd, which is the name of the guy who treated John. That's Smith. right, because your name is Mudd and all that. Yes, yes. That's the, the origin of that statement. Also, he was imprisoned on the most remote U.S. national park in the country right now. Huh. Um, Dry Tortugas was a military prison back in the day. It's an island that is, like, west of the westernmost Florida Key. Okay. It's an insanely cool place to visit. Like, it's just hell and gone. Like, you got to take a ferry for, like, three hours to get out there. But also, this dude was so into medical ethics that even though he was basically imprisoned for doing his job, he saved a bunch of, like, inmates and, I guess, guards or whatever, military... MPs who worked the prison from a, I think it was a dengue or a yellow fever outbreak, outbreak and he did wow. such a good job that they pardoned him. God damn, what a doctor! And just let him go. What a doctor! <laughs> yeah. That fucking rules. Um, yeah, good for him. So yeah, so Abby makes the very compelling case of like you know when the patient's in front of you, you just save the patient and then you figure out the implications or ramifications after. You know, but in that moment, you just do what you do as a doctor. And basically, so she tells the president to to pressure the doctor by forcing the issue by, like, putting the patient in front of him, uh, which then the president goes on to do. Uh, he calls the guy to the Oval Office and is like, <laughs> hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, you know, we'll talk about the politics of the situation a little bit, but I'm shipping that kid to your hospital. And I, I know you're as a doctor, you're going to treat him. And, and and does what Abby suggests, and it works. And the guy's like, all right, fine. And then he ends up treating, treating the kid. And that's uh, the resolution of the main plot of the episode. And it, the whole thing is just really boring. Like, the medical ethical part of it is interesting a little, but the, like, the geopolitics of it just all gets talked about. We don't get any actual implications or, or violence or missiles launching or anything. They, they keep talking about... They name dropped this one type of missile like three times, and I wanted to have a missile go off just to add some yeah. damn excitement. <laughs> Seriously, the writers could have made anything happen, and yes. they didn't. Yeah, so it feels low stakes because ultimately it is low stakes other than, like, you know, the kid might die, and that's sad, but also we haven't seen him literally at all. He, he is an won't. abstract idea. Will. He is an abstract idea in the episode. We, we have no face of it. They don't even show a photo. Like, in the sit room or anything. They don't even, like, pull up a photo of the kid or whatever. Like, it's yeah. just, it's a it's a weird choice. It's almost depersonalizing, which, if we want to talk about the Islamophobia. Oh, of, my God, we do. This, of this subplot, and of course we do. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus. So, yeah, so at some point in the middle, uh, the press gets a hold of it. 
And uh, beforehand, it was all smiles. Like, the president's having a lot of fun in this episode, like Bartlett and Martin Sheen. And it's fun to see in little bits and pieces, but also it feels out of touch. Because, like, I guess this is supposed to be now he's, like, really celebrating his election victory. Because, sure. uh, you know, a lot of it is like, oh, I'm going to, you know, call the lakes Charlie now. And <laughs> I'll rename yeah, January rename after myself. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, he's like, he's having a lot of fun. For, like, the first half of the episode, and then in comes Buzzkill CJ with the fucking alert that the press uh, has caught the Ayatollah's son uh, story, and uh, the Ayatollah himself immediately, like, denounced the West and, like, said, like, I don't know, something about Western interference or whatever. And like, it's being... It's offensive to Islam. <laughs> that that was it. And Bartlett gets fucking, like, real, like, slams the book on the desk mad and is like, God, fuck, why you have to, like, just say, like, I love my son or whatever and don't denounce me. And then, like, you know, Leo's like, he has to appease, like, the right wing, like we do all the fucking time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, we wouldn't do that here. Not at all. That's not very yeah. American. Leo like, has a great line of, like, all politics is local. And Bartlett just true. goes, like, bite me. <laughs> Well, I, and it's just the whole framing of, and the whole framing of it is like they're just portraying this guy as as comically evil as possible. And it's frankly, it's nobody who watched this show in like in real time probably had any idea beyond the like sort of very simple Iran bad because yes. 1979. Right. Like conception of the Muslim world. And it's just. They dig into it so hard. He's yeah. talking about like, well, God damn it. They would have had these doctors that could do this operation there if they had just built a medical school. It's like, motherfucker. If they, if they had stopped in being so crazy mad Muslims <laughs> and had just gotten together and built a medical school. Yeah. And as, yeah. Motherfucker, you've been bobbing them into the Stone Age for the last two decades. You yeah, try like building a medical school. You try building a medical school, school when you can't purchase... Like supplies and materials, uh, MRIs and shit, because you're sanctioned. Yeah, from three quarters of the planet. Like, and then there's a thing where they like there's this brief news item, and I think it's CJ that says it, but it's like, he, or no, it's Leo. He passes along a note, and it just says like he reads out, and he's like, "Those damn Muslims have taken to the streets." Right, the Iranians. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's oh, like okay. oh, oh yeah, <laughs> those wacky Muslims. <laughs> like, hey, like why? Why would they take to the streets? Oh, because uh, because of the story and because they're mad at the West. Oh, they're just so mad at the West. They hate us for our freedom, you know. <laughs> yep, that's what it is. I'm that, sure that's all and, it is. So yeah, uh, this gets you know real post nine eleven Islamophobic energy throughout this whole subplot. Well, I shouldn't even call it subplot. It's the main plot. Yeah, uh, and then there's two other subplots that we'll discuss in the next segment here. But yeah, any final thoughts on this? It's just, it's, it's quite boring overall. Like I oh. said, Abby injects a little bit, and the medical ethical question of it is sort of fun to puzzle out. But like I was talking to you before the show, like I compare this to like a Star Trek TNG episode, like the one where uh, Worf gets paralyzed and wants to commit 
Klingon ritual suicide. And that whole episode, there's like 20 minutes where they just talk about the ethical implications (laughs) of the situation. And, oh, well, you know, do we honor his culture? You know, I can't, as a doctor, kill him, you know, assist in a suicide. Well, you assist in, like, euthanasia and stuff. Well, that's different. And, like, they go back and forth. And, like, this episode just glosses over all of that in, like, a minute. And, like, it it doesn't really want to have the true ethical debate, which I think could have been interesting had you really tore into it and made this kid less abstract and made it more real. Like, have, you know, show show the kid, at least. Well, and sort of the real galaxy brain kind of thing down the road here is that the implications of a fee-for-service medical provision model could have... Like you oh yeah, the they, we don't even get a little. Uh, they talk about the money at one point, but it's just the political consideration of where the money yeah. has to come from. Not you know, not that. Oh, what if he didn't have money? You know, or or like what if you know? How do we how do we gatekeep this in a way? Because technically, the argument of treating the patient in front of you, if that patient can't pay you, is that patient in front of you? Right. Does that? And, that, and the answer like, is no. <laughs> they just yeah, don't let you that, in. <laughs> eliminate your ethical quandary technically so there's a lot of interesting d- directions it could have gone in and of it course could have. <laughs> and of course it takes literally none of them and so it's just i'd like to know real low that, energy and boring for sure and this wasn't written by this is a non-sorkin oh the writing credits were to ellie addy who was huh, al gore's chief speechwriter. oh oddly enough and then some other person whose name i didn't that ex- you know what? That explains a lot of yeah. why it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't have that sarkin pizzazz. Doesn't hate women quite enough. Al Gore's speechwriter. That makes a lot of sense as to why it's boring. You are now listening to me talk. <laughs> it's so it's funny how he got funny after that. Like when he went on Futurama and stuff because his daughter was a writer on it. And he like, oh, well. Uh, okay, we're clearly derailing at this point. <laughs> we're let's, going way off the reservation. <laughs> let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and try to get back a little on topic for this god-awful episode of television. Welcome back. And so these we have two specific subplots and really nothing else. This episode is very A plot, B plot, C plot. Yep. Uh, we we just just went over the A plot, everything with the Ayatollah's son and the heart surgery. Uh, our B our first B plot here is Toby uh, and this lady who just lost a very close election for something. By I like think it was just like a house seat. Sure. And she says, oh, it was 127 votes. That's 12 lawn signs, implying that one lawn sign equals 10, 10 votes. votes. But as we all know, lawn signs do not vote. <laughs> it's, it's another line in this episode that's just quintessential Democrat. It's like, well, you see, if we handed, our metrics tell us that we handed out 444 lawn signs and we got 446,000 votes. And so therefore. Therefore, one law sign equals 10 yeah. votes. <laughs> So, if I had just had 12 more lot signs, I would have won. <laughs> uh, 
It, mu it must hurt to lose close like that. But anyway, so she comes to the White House to talk to Toby. I guess he summoned her because they have openings now that they're in their second term to fill for all the various cabinet and sub-cabinet and whatnot roles. And he so he offers her director of parks, of national parks. Yep. Uh, which I think is, uh, in Parks and Rec, Leslie becomes, like, sub-director. Or so, like, <laughs> regional, like, regional director for, like, the Midwest or whatever. So she would have been under this lady in, in that fiction. Uh, so, yeah, the lady is like, ah, I, you know, she, I wanted a job with the Parks Department, she wanted to, like, work her way up, and now Toby's like, we'll just make you fucking director. And so she's, she's uh, thrilled. Uh, at first, and then midway through, they're like, oh, by the way, we totally have to yank the rug out from under her and uh, take the, take back the offer, yeah. because uh, turns out the Republicans are going to fight us, and we'd just rather roll over and let them uh, win rather than put up a fight. And, and so Toby has to come back, and the, the lady takes the news like a champ, might have to do with the incredible amount of scotch in her glass. Yeah. <laughs> at I, the, uh, that's at, my one note. <laughs> yeah, it's like she has like a third of a bottle of scotch in this tumbler when they have yeah. this meeting. So maybe that's why she's taking the bad news so well. <laughs> I'm like, Toby, I'm not gonna remember shit tomorrow morning. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can Fuck tell it. me whatever. Um, so yeah, it's what it's really funny is it's a very good example of like just Dems completely backstabbing their biggest supporters because Toby goes out of his way to say like she did all this stuff for us. She she like ran you know she proposed a doomed bill that was like a gas tax increase that of course would be crazy unpopular but but it necessary. set off it set off the yellow vests like it's literally yeah. she's talking about raising taxes on gas for no reason yeah. other than the fact that gas prices other than, are too low it, other than it might develop alternative <laughs> fuel <laughs> what a bunch of shit uh so yeah, but the more meta aspect of it is that she did all these favors for the Democratic Party, and then lo and behold, when the Democratic Party has to even like just fight a little for her, uh, they completely fold and go, "No, we're not doing that. Yeah. Uh, you you can't have the job." Uh, like what the I? Why is anyone loyal to this party? Like. <laughs> yeah. And you would think that... And as we'll see in the other subplot, uh, the party that actively conspires to make sure they don't have a fair chance in their elections. I, and you would think that within... and Well, it's actually kind of interesting because I feel like whenever we get someone standing up to the party line, if you will, we it's presented in the framing of the show as like, it's unquestionably bad. But I feel like that if you take the the... Like the canon of the show and the things that have happened with these people that a good writer or someone who wasn't just like, I don't know, completely captive to their fan fiction, you know, fantasy administration here would be able to write some very compelling episodes about like, you guys have failed for three seasons now. Right. And here's what we're going to put up, I like, I guess, against you or like as a contrast to... You just fucking these people over again right. and again. Uh, and there was there was an attempt at that back in you know back in the let Bartlett be Bartlett. Mm. It was them recognizing how fucking pathetic they had been in their in their time in office so far, and they hadn't actually done anything. And yeah. It was supposed to be this big gearing up for like, okay, let's go out there and let's fucking do things, let's push shit, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. And here <laughs> and here we all are again. Like, yeah, and it makes you. 
I mean, if, if you are following the, the universe of the show consistently, and part of it is it's, um, it's easier to do this as I think my, my wife found out recently with, she tried to rewatch sex in the city, like in Ooh. 2020. And she was just like, binge watching this show sucks so much because mm. it's just like, Oh, it's another episode with Carrie whining about bullshit. And but she and she made a very salient well, observation. She said like when it was once a week, week that by you saw week, this, it works. It yeah. was enough to be like there's oh. there's enough stuff in your week for you to forget exactly. You know, to for for you to forget about how formulaic it is. Yep, and but I think it applies to this show too. Watch it. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, you know what? It's similar. But yeah, like so we're we're watching it on the right pace. You know, we're not binge watching it. We do it once a week. Yeah. Like like it's properly done. And that you're right, it does lend a certain lens to the viewing experience that's different from just watching them back to back to back, which you know, the first time I consumed the show, I did just binge watch it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so, and again, you kind of just lose track of what's happening, right. which is Fine, right, like, and there's no, yeah, there's no, the, the long-term arcs all kind of get resolved or taken care of. I do like that we are getting follow-through on uh, something something from like an episode or two episodes ago that is uh, just paying off now. Uh, what was it? I forget. Got- it was minor, but it got brought up, and mm-hmm. it was just like a nice little nod of continuity. That uh, that I'm like okay at least this is still having oh Andy's lawsuit yes gets brought up from like from like two epi- you know from last episode yes. I was like okay it's good to see them paying forward on the on even a small subplot like that um, just yeah, because to, we've, we've been they're trained. leaning more into the arc and the serialization thing oh because even we've been though trained this to episode like we've, we've been trained to not assume that's going to be what happens so it's like that, gets, oh, okay. that things get paid off or get yeah. remembered so they are leaning into it even though this episode itself feels kind of episodic yes very uh, much. it does you know it does have its place after the election which is why they're doing certain things but aside from that it's a pretty self-contained episode you can package it up and watch it out of order and and be fine yeah Oh. It's not like one of the other ones that le- leads much more directly into another one, like you know the little mini unofficial two-parter we we just had with election night For and sure. then game on. Well, I think also like it it's it's now it's after the campaign and the election season, so we're sort of reverting back to like the thing that the writers and I say this very loosely, like broadly, the writers of the show are bad at. Like they, it's yeah. hard to serialize things when the they don't day. have the. They don't have the dramatic framing of the race of a big or event. the election. Yeah. Right. A big, a big, easy, binary, win-lose situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's take another quick break, and then we'll come back and discuss the C-plot. And welcome back. And so the final 
subplot, and there again, there really isn't anything else. There's not a lot it's of just meat. Like, no, it's just these three things happen, and I use happen with the biggest air quotes possible. Uh, but the third thing is Josh dealing with the uh, Senate minority leader, the Democratic uh, minority leader, um, getting concerned about the fact that Hoynes has reached out to a bunch of Iowa and New Hampshire precinct captains already, like fucking two days after the election yeah. is over. <laughs> Hoynes is already, like, making moves to run for the next time around, and uh, the minority leader also wanted to run and is upset about the fact that the field is basically being, like, pre-cleared already. Already! Like, two days after the fucking election. Like, he didn't even get a chance to... Yeah. Like, yeah, you know. and, And so Josh gets upset because they want to, you know, at least spend a couple years, quote unquote, governing... Uh, before they go back into re-election mode. Like, he understands that, yes, obviously we do have to focus on the next time, but that time is now past. You know, we just finished an election. Uh, we're not supposed to immediately start running the next one. So, and... So he goes to Hoynes, and they kind of have a little tiff about it, and Hoynes is real mad at Josh because... Reasons? I don't know. I can't... (laughs) I don't know. He... There's a lot of shit... That that is kind of bound up in their pre-existing drama because right every, so, everything Josh about used Hoynes, to work for him yeah, yeah everything about Hoynes is built into this sort of like adversarial initial compromise that he made where he was like right we we presume that by him I don't want to say he threw the race against Bartlett but by him early on going like okay together in coalition we can get this done the presumption was that because he was a he was physically a younger man that he would be the inheritor of the bartlett kind of the the dynasty it's his turn yeah (laughs) it's his turn uh uh which at which point toby says quite quite correctly there are no turns (laughs) yes exactly so i don't know and like the senate what, what strikes me about this is it's sort of again it's it's bad writing because it's like, hey, you're it you're is the just after an election episode. <laughs> to but but you're the leader of the Senate and you don't like you're I mean I mean you're you're Chuck Schumer in this situation and you right. don't understand that like of of course they're pre clearing the field. Like this is right. this is the dynamic that allowed Hoynes to be the vice president at all like i would yeah it feels it feels a little naive yeah and i would hope that the the party would be coordinated enough to be like okay look here's what's going on but then again (laughs) it's the democrats right so well it's funny you say that the party's coordinated it turns out no one realizes that it's not actually hoynes doing it because that when josh and hoynes have their big spat hoynes reveals that he wasn't the one who called all those precinct captains he was on vacation somewhere and it turns out, da da da, Bartlett was the yeah. one who called all the precinct captains <laughs> and is already pre clearing the field for Hoynes because, quote unquote, in his words, this isn't the time for a free for all. Yeah, I <laughs> just just casually dismissing the concept of a demo, a fair democratic primary. Yeah, yeah out like, the window. Just don't know. Of, of course, I'm setting this up. Like we aren't going to let yeah. any of these people evaluate Look, it on the merits. 
we just won four more years. Let's get, you know, let's just get Hoynes in there and he'll be our guy and then boom. Or, you know, we don't have to worry about the next four years. Which is interesting because, frankly, if I was being a cynical asshole about using my power, of course that's what I'm doing. Like, I have a mandate. I'm going to use it to ensure that the mandate continues. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Leo just snaps him out of it by saying, like, you're not supposed to do this stuff anymore. And, the, like, the Bar- Bartlett just takes, like, a heavy pause and is like, all right, fine, just undo it all, I guess. <laughs> Should I call them? He's like, no, I'll take care of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's just, it's literally a no-stakes plot because A, it all gets undone, and then B, there's no there's no commentary about the fact that, of the rigging, uh, yeah. you know, there's a little by the minority leader, who, by the way, plays, like, uh, the police chief on Dexter. As soon as I saw him, I'm like, I know nice. you from something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's like, he's uh, Maria's boss on Dexter. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, he shows up from time to time. Uh, so, I like the actor. He did a decent job. But there's no, they don't really dig into the meat of, like, this sort of corruption within the Democratic Party. They don't even really identify it as corruption. It's just like the president did an oopsie whoopsie. <laughs> Well, and there's, it's, um, there's no consequences. Like they never, right. and we it never, all gets I don't undone think, immediately. I don't think we see this guy ever again. No, he's just a one episode guest star. Yep. Yeah. And so, I, yeah. And by the, and by the next time we do hear about the primary, it ends up being a huge, long contested contest. Uh, and it's not pre-cleared at all for Hoynes because that's like the entirety of season six. Yeah, they needed the entire season to write it. <laughs> yeah, it turns out they wanted to be like, okay, so it turns out writing about elections is fun. What if we could like extend that a whole lot longer by writing about the primary too? <laughs> like, and yeah. so and suddenly it was not a pre-cleared field for Hoynes, but rather a hot contested race that. We might talk about it if we get to that season. We'll yeah, see. If we make it that far. Like, <laughs> I don't know. The, the, the whole thing, there's just all these very, very Democrat lines this time around. And like, uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to, so I'm going to, I'm going to digress into this topic right now. Um, the show opens and my, literally the first thing I wrote on my notes was shut the fuck up. He's like, they're talking about what the, um, like what a legislative agenda is or right. a policy agenda right. sort of thing and Bartlett's going on and on and so he literally says I want oh, to yeah. he he tackles he says he lists some stuff he's like yeah, yeah I want to find the surplus again and keep the surplus growing but then uh-huh. use the surplus to t- do <laughs> to build schools stuff to build schools that the military will use to train people in urban warfare oh my god like and it's just it's so these words all sound great when you say them but if you think about them for more than a second it's like yeah, it's oh, all terrible terrifying so you're going to have a surplus but you're also going to use the surplus so using the surplus means that it's no longer a surplus it's like i thought you were a fucking nobel prize winning economist bitch he just like, rattles off so many like political keywords in that like opening <laughs> cold open bit where he's just like lowest inflation in 20 years yeah. and, well, you know like uh, gdp keeps growing Num- number go it's basically number go up well, we're gonna have freedom to choose He's just extolling the virtues of number, and you know we all love to extol the virtue of number in our in our own time. But Mr. President, you're on your way to a press conference. It's time to get serious. <laughs> Praise yeah, be to number. So, yeah, 
God, everything in that cold open is just baffling, but yeah. you just kind of roll with it, because also he's joking half the time, too. Yeah. So you, you can't treat any of it seriously, and you know it's all throwaway dialogue that's not of no consequence anyway, so it's just sort of, like, bizarre. It, it really is, it just feels like political Mad Libs. Well, it's an interesting, and I guess, actually, this is sort of the, there's, like, a flip side of the, the writing in this episode of like taking advantage of the fact that they have just been reelected and they have this, right. you know, the mandate that they're claiming. Big man- yeah. He won big. It's, you know. it's now that they could, if they chose to do big things with the arc big, of the bold show. Things. You know, like that make college tuition tax deductible plan yeah. that they came up with during the campaign. That was going to be like their big thing. How come we're not hearing about that as so- like a legislative priority? Sorry, I only remember Sailor. <laughs> yeah, that's, that that's literally how that plot line ends up resolving, basically. <laughs> I think they bring it back at the... So I remember there's an episode where, like, Leo comes back post, like, heart attack or whatever, and it's their final year in office, and he, like, he puts up a big thing of, like, what do we need, still need to get done? And someone yells out, like, the college tax deductible <laughs> nice. thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, we haven't even tried, huh? The real collar-tugging <laughs> moment there. That's <laughs> <laughs> basically all of that. So, yeah, <laughs> this uh, this episode's bad, y'all. Don't don't watch it. Don't rewatch it. It was just mostly boring. And that's the biggest sin a television show can commit. You're supposed to entertain us. Yeah, keep me coming back. Give us something. Like, we had a big geopolitical plotline that even used the Situation Room, and no one shot a goddamn missile! Uh, (laughs) Where are they gonna get to the fireworks factory? (laughs) Okay, so we're gonna take a brief break, and then we can wrap up. And that's it for today. Um, I'm sorry if you've already watched this episode to kind of keep pace with us. You shouldn't. If you have not, <laughs> it's real bad. Uh, um, it's that unusual Abby ben for... the middle was fun, wasn't it, everyone? I felt life for like a minute there. <laughs> yeah, when uh, Stocker Channing's on screen, I was actually smiling in spite of myself. Um, yes. It's also like it's a real dead ringer when my wife is like oh this one's real boring <laughs> yeah all the humor in this one is just bad too like nothing actually made me laugh not even a little not even the uh. charlie put on your pads and get back in there thing was slightly misogynist but borderline funny because abby was in with the women's caucus and he's like hey don't be a don't be a <laughs> A big pussy, Charlie. Go talk to women like a normal person. Like, okay. Even if Sorkin's not writing, you've got to get that little bit of misogyny in there just to <laughs> yeah. just to keep the flavor. It's like a spice. How, how else would we know what show we're watching? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, this episode sucked. It's just real boring and dry, not funny at all, and it's a shame. It feels like they've blown their creative wad with the election. Uh, and they're they're having to recover. They're in their refractory period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, so that pretty much does it for this episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. We appreciate all of your comments, feedback, etc. If you would like to drop the show a line, you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Nice. And we will see you next time for the next episode of The Worst Wing. Bye, stay, y'all. Safe. stay safe. All the money you ask for, 
But don't ask me to come on along 